This is a GRDC podcast. Rhizoctonia is a fungal disease that can cause significant damage to cereal crops. Right now, there are widespread reports of bare patches appearing in paddocks right across the southern and western regions. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. Now, how bad the damage will end up being probably won't be known until the spring. GRDC has an excellent fact sheet on rhizoctonia for growers who want to dive deep into the cause and effect. But right now I'm joined by Alan McKay, who is the Principal Research Officer into Soilborne Diseases with the South Australian Research and Development Institute, and Blake Gontar, who is a Senior Research Officer with SADI, also working in Soilborne Diseases. And we're going to go through what's happening more broadly and, importantly, what growers might be able to do longer term to reduce the impact of rhizoctonia on their crops. Blake, if I can turn to you first, you've been on the phone. What are you hearing about the amount of rhizoctonia around this year? For South Australia particularly, the the reports are quite widespread. We've had a lot of growers and agronomists calling us and asking if they can send in samples of cereals particularly. I think generally they know what the answer is, but they're perhaps not expecting to see the problem this year. So they're, they're a bit caught out by it. And when they send those samples in, we've generally been confirming that, that rhizoctonia is the problem. How extensive over the southern region? And I understand it's also fairly extensive in the west as well. So most of South Australia seems to have a problem, particularly in the, the low to medium rainfall zones. We're not as in touch with the Western Australian growers, of course, but the feedback there is is they're probably seeing some severe problems as well. And into Victoria, we have been getting some contact with agronomists and and, uh, growers from over there that that are having the same sort of experience. Now, you say the samples you're getting, it's definitely rhizoctonia because the symptoms can relate to other problems as well, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And whilst we would say it's there's definitely rhizoctonia there, there are, there are other things there as well. And pythium and Pratolinchus nematodes are, are two that probably come to mind as sometimes not being quite as easy to distinguish from rhizoctonia. Rhizoctonia can be reasonably distinctive, but when you get all three together, it does make it quite hard. So certainly we wouldn't recommend just assuming that the symptoms that a grower or an agronomist sees is, is rhizoctonia. Uh, It's really, really important to dig these things up and really carefully wash the roots out. Just confirm what you're thinking or send us a sample and we'll do that for you. Alan, rhizoctonia seems to be around to varying degrees in most years. Why has it become a bigger problem this year? Okay, well, I guess uh, the first thing is that we've been seeing an increase in the rhizoctonia inoculum for the last three years. And that's been pretty much across the southern and western regions. So the inoculum's been building, so that's increasing the risk. The other critical factor is the seasonal conditions. This year we've tended to have either later starts or it's been a bit colder around seeding or in some areas, so in southern New South Wales, they've got acid subsoils that are restricting root growth down the profile. In South Australia, we had some good opening rains, but then it's getting dry in some areas since, so root growth's restricted. We know that when plants are not growing quickly, the rhizoctonia is much more likely to get into the roots and then cause these bare patches. And we haven't seen a lot of bare patches in previous years because the crops have been generally sown early, got out of the ground quickly and grown through that high risk phase where if rhizoctonia gets on top of the seedling early, it'll never really recover from that. 
you mentioned earlier sewing. So that's been a benefit, has it, to lessening the impact of rhizoctonia? It's probably one of the most important developments in reducing the impact of rhizo. It's getting the crop in the ground while the soil is still warm. So when the soil is warm and moist, the crops generally grow very quickly. They get a root system down the profile quickly and there's enough root system developed that by the time the rhizo attacks the crop, they've got through that risk of a bare patch phase. Blake, what is the level of damage that's being reported to you? It's always a bit tricky because growers and agronomists tend to see the worst patches, but it's probably fairly substantial in in some areas and probably related to soil type a bit. The big patches, they might only be sort of 10% of a paddock perhaps, but that can be quite deceptive. I mean, if you went outside of those patches, you would probably find rhizoctonia in, in the remaining crop or much of it anyway. So how much actual yield damage or yield reduction goes on in the end of the season may not just relate to those patches, but I've been sent some pictures where you would probably say up to 30 or 40% of the the crop looks pretty bad from those pictures anyway. Alan, you mentioned that it's a disease of seedlings and once they sort of get past that early growth, things are, are better for them. But I've heard that damage can continue through the season uh, to the crown roots is that right that's right so if you get the crop established early it doesn't mean that it's escaped infection but when the crop uh, root growth starts to slow down and usually in south australia that's about mid-july when the soil temperatures get to about 10 degrees the rhizotonia then starts working its way into the root system and typically it'll take off the crown roots so you can have a crop that's got a fair bit of bulk in it can look reasonably good, but you may notice then in the sort of mid to late tillering, the crop starts to develop some uneven growth. And that's because the rhizotonia is taking off the crown roots, which is affecting the development of the tillers on the plant. You may not actually see a lot of uneven growth, but it can still be working its way through the root system. And as you enter into the spring, it still keeps developing on the roots. So by the time you get to say mid-October, there may not be a lot of root system left. Blake, I suppose the million-dollar question is is what can be done. Is there anything that can be done in crop? In terms of reducing the actual disease, there's not a lot of options for growers, but that's not to say that nothing can be done. So it's still really important to know whether you've got that problem, particularly if you've got a good crop established and, and you know rhizo might be an issue. It's worth looking for that crown root infection. The types of decisions growers can definitely make in crop are around what the end use of that crop might be. So particularly things like cutting hay, if hay is a big part of the system, that might be the most profitable option for a crop that doesn't look like producing a lot of yield. And you might choose to manage that crop quite differently in terms of your inputs. Now, how much yield impact the rhizotonia is going to have is really dependent on the type of spring conditions that you're going to get. And that's extremely hard to predict, but it's thinking about how much further inputs into that crop you might want to put and what your best return on investment might be. So there are actually a lot of things growers can do with the information, but unfortunately eliminating rhizotonia in crop is is not one of them to any great extent. We do know that, you know, we get a really good effect of applying nitrogen and, and perhaps trace elements in crop, but we don't know the economic benefit, whether that actually pays off in yield. You'll certainly create a better looking crop, um, but you won't reduce rhizoctonia. 
Alan, the prevalence of uh, rhizoctonia seems to be fairly high this year. Does that necessarily mean it's going to be high again next year? If it's coming out of a cereal crop, it's likely to be high, but how much of that inoculum survives till next year will depend on how wet the summer is. At the moment, if we end up with a dry spring, inoculum levels will continue to increase. If we get a dry summer, the inoculum that's produced will carry through to next year. The rhizotonia multiplies on grasses and cereals, so it's the cereal crops this year and the grassy weeds that are going to drive the inoculum levels for next year. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the choices, some of the things, the management options that growers might have going into next year. There's obviously quite a few. You talked about barley and and cereals as moving to another crop, one option for controlling rhizoctonia next year. Yeah, well, if you've had a couple of years of cereals and you've got a high rhizoctonia level, it's worth considering growing a a non-cereal crop. So canola is generally pretty good. Canola is good because it's often the first crop in the ground, so you can get the seedlings established quickly. You need to get good grass control. That's the proviso. But pulses, pasture legumes, all the non-cereals will bring the inoculum down as long as you've got good grass control in the crop. And the grass control has to be early in the season. It's not about stopping seed set in the spring. You don't want grass root systems developing in the pulse crop or the oilseed crop. What other management options do growers have when it comes to battling rhizoctonia next year? If you're going into a paddock, you know it's got potential for rhizoctonia. There's a number of fungicide strategies that you can use. Broadly, it falls into seed treatments, fungicide-coated fertiliser and liquid streaming. And the work that we've done and others have shown that liquid streaming would be the most effective strategy. It's also the most expensive. Fungicide-coated fertilisers can work well, but it depends on the fertiliser rate that you're applying. So the idea is to try and create a a zone of protection so the roots growing into that zone are going to pick up the fungicide. Probably the most common one, though, is the seed treatments because it's the easiest way of applying fungicide. For the fungicides to work, they have to be in the root zone and the roots will take up the fungicide and they tend to protect, move it up the plant. A weakness of fungicides is that as the roots grow outside the fungicide zone, they're no longer protected. With seed treatments, where they can come unstuck is where you sow the crop, there might be adequate moisture to get germination, but if you don't get follow-up rains fairly quickly, the fungicide will stay on the seed. So what you need is a good rain to get that fungicide from the seed into the root zone. So as the roots, the seminal roots are growing down the profile, they're growing in a zone of fungicide to protect them. With deep banding, if you put the fungicide perhaps too deep in a dry year, you might get the seed germinating, but if it's cold and the roots are not growing very quickly, those seeds might get attacked by the rise of tony before the roots get a chance to hit the fungicide layer. And that can actually happen with seed treatments too, that if the fungicide's sitting on the seed and the roots are germinating out, rhizoctony can take the roots off before the fungicide's washed into the soil profile by the next rain. So it's a little tricky. People tend to opt for the easiest method of application, but how effective it's going to be is going to depend on the environment and the seasonal conditions as well. Blake, I've noticed on social media there's been a bit of talk about cultivation as a way of controlling rhizoctonia. I'm assuming there, but they're talking about soil amelioration work. Is that an option for growers? Yeah, I I think they need to investigate how that's going to work in their system for lots of other reasons. It could have a couple of potential benefits for rhizoctonia. 
for sure. So the, the most obvious one is that if they're reducing some sort of hard pan or restriction, you are giving your germinating plant the very best chance to boom away and grow very quickly early and get away from rhizoctonia. As Alan said, the rhizoctonia is still going to be there and it's going to catch up in winter as the plant slows down. But at the very least, you've got seedling establishment and avoided the worst of the damage. So something like deep ripping could potentially assist the plant in getting away, but it's probably not going to do anything for the inoculum as such. Now, mouldboard ploughing or, or some sort of soil inversion may actually achieve that. It may actually reduce the inoculum itself by burying it quite low. The issue with this is that rhizoctonia is probably going to come back over time. And I don't know that we've got enough information about what uh, mouldboard ploughing or soil inversion does for the rest of the soil biology. And you may actually see rhizoctonia come back first and, and maybe come back with a vengeance. So it's probably an area where we need to do a lot more research, but certainly something like deep ripping or even just cultivation below the seed with a knife point seeding system. You're going to get significant disturbance below the seed and that's going to help germination and establishment and avoid the worst effects of rhizo early. Just to finish off then, Alan, is it safe to assume that what's out there now is rhizoctonia or would you suggest that people get samples tested using the predictor B test? It depends if you want to know exactly what's going on. In most cases, rhizo will be the most important pathogen that's driving the symptoms. But in many cases, as Blake said before, there will be other pathogens there like pythium and root lesion nematodes. And it's going to depend on conditions, which one's actually the most dominant. We recommend that people do get at least a visual diagnosis of what's going on because not all patches are caused by diseases and not all patches are caused by rhizotonia. So if you're using that information to plan a management strategy, you need to know what it is you're going to manage. Predictor B is one of the tools you can use, but even a carefully washing the roots and looking for the spear tipping is a good starting point. The spear tips that rhizotonia produces, particularly on the crown roots, are very distinctive. And most people would be able to recognise those if they are used to looking for those symptoms. If they're not sure, they should send plants into the local department and get it confirmed. Alan McKay, the Principal Research Officer into Soilborne Diseases with SARDI. And joining Alan, also from SARDI, was Blake Gontar, who is a Senior Research Officer into Soilborne Diseases. Now, there are links to those GRDC Rhizoctonia fact sheets in the story notes. There are separate fact sheets for the southern and western regions. My name is Chris Brown.